Things aren't the same at the Bears anymore. Some busy new neighbors have moved in next door. Welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bearcast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez, and let's talk about positive stereotypes. Positive stereotypes are an under-the-radar form of discrimination that can negatively impact entire groups of people without the perpetrators even realizing they're saying or doing something harmful. Positive stereotypes exist for pretty much every grouping of human beings. You may have heard that women are naturally nurturing, people from countries in Asia are naturally good at academics, people of African descent are naturally good at athletics, people of Jewish descent are good with money. So taken by themselves, these statements may seem innocuous. After all, being good at something is a positive, right? And everybody likes people who are good at something, right? Well, the number one issue with any kind of stereotyping is that it reduces an entire group of people to one monolithic type. And positive stereotyping disregards individual personalities and diminishes the skill and effort involved in the work people put into their activities. Also, it puts an unfair blemish on anyone in that group who fails to live up to the stereotype. But one of the more insidious aspects of positive stereotypes is the one we're looking at today. One person's positive may be another person's negative. And when Papa and the Cubs start stereotyping their new neighbors, it leads to resentment on both sides of the street. Yes, listeners, this week, we're taking a look at 1990's final McDonald's Happy Meal book, The Berenstain Bears and the Eager Beavers. Okay, The Eager Beavers brings us to the end of the four-part saga that we started weeks ago with the substitute teacher, but really, we started this saga months ago way back in February of 2016 with a book we called, because that's its title, The Berenstain Bears and the Neighborly Skunk. If you recall, this 1984 book had the Bear family freaked out that a skunk was moving into the old woodchuck residence. Papa was sure the skunk was going to cause property values to drop or something, because you know what happens when those people move into the neighborhood, right? They stink up the place. Eventually, the Bear family does a good turn for the skunk, who does a good turn right back at them, and they learn that as long as you're useful, Papa Bear is okay with keeping you around. Now, the neighborly skunk was a weird example of prejudice in bear country. Weird because it never dealt with the actual problem with prejudice, which is that it is harmful in general. Regardless of whether or not the skunk ended up helping out the bears, they shouldn't have prejudged him as a neighbor. It reminds me of Michelle Norris talking about growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood in Minneapolis in the 60s. Her father made it clear that they had to keep up appearances 10 times as well as their neighbors in order to prove, constantly prove, that they were good people. Neighbor Skunk is in the same boat, essentially with his value as a person depending almost entirely upon his direct usefulness to the Bear family, something that the, the the Bruins never had to do. In fact, the bear parents never even seemed that interested in the Bruins one way or another until sister befriended their daughter. And all of this is simply a prologue to the eager beavers, which actually starts with Mr. Skunk announcing that he's moving. We're never given a reason as to his sudden departure, but I imagine having to live up to Papa's watchful gaze got wearying after a while. 
Now, we're also introduced in this book's quick intro, and let me emphasize again how much I appreciate these shorter books for their pacing. They don't waste a line on anything but the story at hand, so kudos to them. We're introduced to Mama's growing frustration with her family's laziness. Like life with Papa, this book is guilty of exaggerating established characteristics of our core characters in order to service the plot. It's a little less obvious in this book, but the exaggeration is there. Now, maybe I'm a little sensitive to it because I see myself reflected in the opening pages, where essentially Papa's choosing to relax rather than address his crumbling home. His house. His, not his home, I guess. The, the physical house is falling apart. The stairs, the shutters, the facade itself are slowly coming undone, and Papa is choosing to spend his work time napping in a hammock. The kids, too, are neglecting their studies and instead whiling away the hours in such artless pursuits as playing games like they're children or something. Look, I know that this book has an agenda or a point to make, but this little intro is already planting me firmly on the side of Papa and the Cubs. There's nothing like someone busting up a solid relax to really sour me to any points they have to make. We don't get to see anything leading up to this moment either. For all we know, Papa and the Cubs have only been chilling for like five minutes. Plus, it explicitly says things were a little, quote, too relaxed to Mama's way of thinking. So right there, it's only Mama's way of thinking. Also, it says that Brother is practicing paddle ball, which means he's playing one-man ping pong against the garage, which is kind of sad or desperate. And where are your friends or friend or cousin and practicing paddle ball? Anyway, it's into the middle of this conflict that Mr. Skunk drops his departure bombshell. And he just hightails it out of bear country. And I'm only just noticing how weird this timeline is. We have a crumbling house, and Mama is nagging Papa and the Cubs. And I use the term nagging very seriously because this does come across as nagging, not simply reminding. The house is falling apart. But then we, we, we get the story jumping ahead several weeks because over the next week or so, a few different families check out the abandoned skunk house under the watchful eye of Ms. Muskrat, the local real estate agent. The real estate agent for non-bears, I presume. Because we'll meet a bear real estate agent in the future. So I'm going to assume that the purchasing and selling of non-bear homes is left up to non-bear agents. First, a rabbit family looks at the house and sister declares that Bunnies are fun, which, okay, maybe bunnies are fun for humans who keep them as pets. I mean, if you give a rabbit plenty of room to roam and explore, then yes, they can make for rambunctious and social pets. But in the context of bear country, it's our first example of positive discrimination. And this has to be learned behavior from Papa or Mama because we know that Sister doesn't have any rabbit friends in bear country school. In fact... I imagine that the rabbit kids wouldn't go to bear country school, not because, you know, of discrimination, but because, well, you know, bear country school eh, probably doesn't have the right facilities for rabbits. But, oh, there's a lovely rabbit-friendly school just outside of town. No, 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 I'm, I'm afraid it doesn't have bus service as it's a private school, but it's only about 20 minutes up the road, and the staff is fairly well-trained, if you catch my drift. Also, we get a few broad gags about the size of the rabbit family and how they can't move into the old skunk place because their family's just going to grow way too fast for a house that size. Now, imagine reading a kid's book, and in it, a family is moving in, and they're, let's say, Italian. Now, imagine if one of the main characters said, Oh, Italians! I hope they move in. Italians are fun. And then the Italian family turns down the house because they reproduce too quickly. Also, this is an exact replay of the rabbit family joke in The Neighborly Skunk. Moving on. Next, 
a porcupine family comes to look at the house, and they're described as having sharp quills and being rather grumpy and disagreeable. And when they turn down the house, Ms. Muskrat confides in the cubs that porcupines tend to be a little prickly, which, because, haha, they're quills. Also, imagine if this was not animals, people. And finally, finally, we're introduced to the beavers. Uh-oh, says Papa. Beavers. Now, let's take a look back at the neighborly skunk. In the neighborly skunk, beavers had also come to look at the house, the same house. And Papa had declared that, quote, beavers make fine neighbors. They are quiet and hardworking, and they are also great engineers. So here we have another example of positive stereotypes. After all, Papa is praising these creatures for their hardworking attitudes and their skills with wood. Also, they are quiet, which is a good thing, right? However... In the eager beavers, we see that Papa's attitude seems to have changed. Brother asks why Papa is suddenly so down on the beavers. And Papa says, Oh, there's plenty wrong with beavers. The hardest working critters known to nature, he says. Bunch of workaholics. They're not called eager beavers for nothing. So Brother asks what a workaholic is, and Papa defines it as somebody who doesn't know how to have fun. So this is a great example of the problem with positive stereotypes. They have a tendency to feed resentment. See, when you attribute someone's accomplishments to some sort of innate ability, then you begin to see the world as an extremely unlevel playing field. And you almost always see it as unlevel against you. Now, it's true that each of us operates with certain advantages. I'm not denying that, whether it's because of our gender, our race, our social status, what have you. They already contribute to an unlevel playing field. That's not an illusion. The world is extremely non-egalitarian. However, positive stereotypes go one further on us by introducing blatantly untrue advantages into this equation. So in the intervening years, from the neighborly skunk to the eager beavers, Papa has let his thoughts on the hard-working beavers of his mind fester. He stopped seeing these beavers as simply hard-working, and has begun to view them as unfairly gifted with a natural propensity for hard work. And hard work is something that Papa has to work hard at, and is frequently berated for not achieving. So the long and short of it is, Papa has started projecting his own feelings of inadequacy onto a family he hasn't even met yet and is basing them on unfair advantages that they may or may not even have. And Mama, Mama is having none of it. And then she begins berating Papa yet again for his ignorance and says that the Bear family are going to greet these beavers with a jar of special honey when they move in. So there, Papa Bear. But here's the thing. The book then goes out of its way to prove that Papa is right. See, the Beaver family, Mr., Mrs., and Junior, are a group of obnoxiously hard workers. They never take time off to relax and are constantly seen working on their house and actually resenting the amount of time the Bear family spends at play. Meanwhile, Papa gets his bottom in gear and fixes his disintegrating treehouse just to prove he's not quite as lazy as he's let on. Eventually, the beavers learn to relax just by watching the bears, and there's a bit of give and take between the two houses over work versus fun, and brother ends up teaching paddle ball to junior beaver, and everyone gets along great. Okay, here's the deal. Papa 
went into this with stereotypes of beavers in his head. Stereotypes that the beavers proved correct. They were hardworking beavers. Too hardworking. However, the beavers never voiced any preconceived notions about bears. Mr. Beaver never says, Oh, don't get between Mama Bear and her cubs. She'll come at you claws a-blazing. We've seen from the many, many, many books we've covered that bears don't seem to share any explicitly common traits other than perhaps a love of honey. Now, they're very much handled as distinct individuals. They are the mainstream in bear country. Non-bear animals, on the other hand, all get lumped together by species. Rabbits, porcupines, woodchucks, even the butterflies, the birds, the frogs. And the stereotypes that the bears have about them are more or less true. So we're left with a very uneven relationship in bear country, and certainly a very uneven relationship by the end of this book. The bears learn that even the hardworkingest beaver can learn to overcome their natural tendencies in order to relax a little, while the beavers simply see that the bear family works and plays more or less as needed. The beavers have to prove to the bears that not all beavers are no fun. And the beavers are expected to stand in for their entire species. So the beavers are required to be examples of good hardworking beavers in order to teach the bear family to overcome their preconceived notions. While the bear family is clearly only standing for themselves. Because we never hear Mr. Beaver comment on bears in general, only on the bear family themselves. And it's an uneven lesson because the beavers, like I said, are required to teach the bear family about beavers. While the bear family doesn't have to put in any extra legwork to teach the beavers about bears. Because the beavers are the minority. Do you see? They're the alien other who steps in and lives up to stereotypical expectations. The lesson of the book gets really muddied because Papa doesn't have to confront his own prejudices because his prejudices end up being true. That's the problem. Not that any of it matters because Papa hasn't learned a thing, as we'll see in an upcoming book, about this exact same situation. Don't worry, though. We'll get there. And all of this leads me to the big topic of this week's episode, the McDonald's Happy Meal books. Part of the overall continuity or part of their own continuity? And it's, if it's part of their own continuity, then which books make up this bare universe? And I'm not convinced it's limited to only these four McDonald's Happy Meal books. In fact, I'm going to return to an argument I made in a previous episode and propose that the mini-storybooks from almost a year ago comprise part of a greater continuity within the Bear Country multiverse. Now, for those of you who don't remember because you are normal people with healthy lives, the mini-storybooks were published in 1983 through 1984 and consist of Go Fly a Kite, The Soccer Star, To the Rescue, The Wild Wild Honey, The Big Election, The Dinosaurs, The Neighborly Skunk, and Shoot the Rapids. Now, look, I don't remember a whole lot about these books, and I certainly... Don't remember a lot about the episodes about these books, but I do recall that they seem to be set in a bear universe that was very similar to, 
but not quite identical to the bear universe proper. In the miniverse, as I'm now calling it, even though I may have called it that once upon a time, I don't remember, Papa Bear ran for office, the bears have multi-species neighbors, and Too Tall looks weird, different. He looks weird. The miniverse was altered and driven in a different direction by Papa, let's say, becoming head of the city council. And I want to believe that it was his leadership that halted the exodus of mammals from bear country. And despite his obvious bigotries, Papa saw the value in a multi-special population, not a community. He made sure that everything in bear country remained divided. In fact, maybe Mr. Skunk's decision to leave is simply a sign of a delayed exodus. Maybe, and maybe Papa's stint on the city council was too exhausting, leading to a lazier Papa Bear, one less inclined to care for the house and clean the attic and prepare for a new family. Maybe this multiverse is a reflection of the possibilities of the Bear family's future, or a refraction of where the book series will eventually lead us. It's a road not taken, with lessons that will remain unlearned to our Bear family proper. I mean, Papa's going to have to learn to overcome these same prejudices in the new neighbors, and Brother's going to have to learn about soccer in the Berenstain Bears get their kicks, and maybe, just maybe, the whole cleaning out of the attic thing, and Papa being too tired to care, and seeing those piles of old photo albums, and that giant pile of discarded baby furniture, maybe that triggers something in the bear parents' heads, and we don't see them going down a road of enlarging their family. Maybe that need is met by them creating a new family room, and surrounding themselves with the detritus of their past, and being able to enjoy themselves in a slightly messier house that doesn't see the need to constantly expand upon itself and build upon the family. And maybe they become happy with this small, four-person, nuclear family and don't see a need to introduce a rather small, beribboned, unimportant, unuseful fifth character into the... You know what? I'm getting ahead of myself because I think this all makes sense. Or maybe this whole series is a collection of dreams from our long-neglected dreamlands. Maybe what we're seeing is a simplification of the anxieties and concerns in our small bear family. Dreamlands 2, perhaps? Maybe this whole series begins with the neighborly skunk and is bookended with the eager beavers. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. So let's tally up the scores. I'm going to give these McDonald's Happy Meal books scores. Final scores. Substitute teacher gets a solid 8.3 out of 10. The Attic Treasure, a solid 7.2 out of 9. Life with Papa, which I didn't like as much, gets an 11.4 out of 56. And The Eager Beavers, a 4 point out of 6.7. So the four books as a whole, drum roll please, yada 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 yada, king, 7.8 out of 9.4. People, these books are good. They read well. They're cheap and they're easy to find. Several have been released as ebooks, and you can find used hard copies as well for pennies, just pennies, pennies to the book. So I recommend picking them up because even the ones that I didn't care for that much, like Life with Papa, which I thought was really weird and bizarre and off topic, even the weaker entries are breezy and they won't cramp your style and they look nice and they make welcome additions to anyone's Berenstain Bears bookshelf. Pick them up, get online, buy all 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. get all 12 of these books, starting with the uh, mini books and read them in order, publication order to your kids and then have a discussion about 
whether or not they comprise an overall arc, whether or not they take place in the Bears universe. Talk about it with your kids. Pick apart the book's plot points. Find their contradictions with the Bear universe proper. And who knows, maybe you'll start your own children on a road to literary criticism, which can only lead to uh, greater job opportunities in the future. They will major in literature and they will find out that they have a love of picking apart children's books. And maybe they will start podcasting themselves one day and the money will come pouring in as it does with niche podcasts. You'll just see mm, uh, the, the sponsorship dollars will float you to a higher tax bracket. You'll ride that wave of prosperity and see nothing but rainbows and sunsets in your future. Rainbows and clouds with birds singing your praise. That's it. Good books. Pick them up. Next week, I don't know. I'm going to be coming down off this happy meal high, and it'll be 2017, and I'm terrible at planning. But there will be more Berenstain Bears. That's all I can promise. So, Happy New Year, everyone. I'll see you at the rosy edge of dawn. I mean, I'll see you next week, deep in a bear country.